part 18 of this lesson series looking at the year of wisdom. And today, we're going to look at the wisdom of humility, sort of a follow-up to last week's lesson on the foolishness of pride and arrogance and superiority, right? The negative, the dark side of pride, the side that separates us from all of our other relationships and from God himself, if we're not careful. So as we talk about humility, it's one of those things that's like, what exactly is humility? Just like pride, you leave, you leave the four walls of a church building and you talk about pride in the English language, and it's usually a good thing when we talk about it, but you read about it in the Bible and you're like, man, that sounds so dark. The Bible is so against this, 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 this well, character defect, and it's because of the way that it's so difficult to translate the concepts from the Bible into the English language. Same thing with humility. And so, you know, humility, it can be either incredibly gentle and almost appear weak, or it can be incredibly powerful. Jesus' humility is expressed uh, at one point in stretching out his arms and letting himself be hung on a cross. And another point, his ex- humility is expressed by flipping over some tables and making a whip out of some cords and driving the money changers out of the temple. And so the question for me, I've, I've got a really tough time putting my finger on exactly what humility is. Ultimately, when you get right down to it, I think at its most basic definition, humility is the willingness to be led by Jesus to open my life up to his direction and maybe more importantly, his correction when I start heading off in the wrong direction and he needs to get me back going the right way. In Proverbs chapter 29, verse 23, the Bible says that pride ends in humiliation while humility brings honor. Last week, we talked about the proverb that said that pride goes before a fall. I used to always be so confused by that, but uh, <clears throat> I heard one guy say one time, it's like, it's like if you view your life as a parade, if you see pride go by in the parade of your life, you can take it to the bank that humiliation and a fall is coming not too long afterwards. He said, but the opposite is true too. If humility goes by in the parade of your life, then honor is going to be following it up. So it becomes pretty obvious we want to avoid the negative side of pride. We want to pursue this this beautiful characteristic or trait of humility in our lives. And so like I said, ultimately to me it comes down to this concept of humility. Am I willing to be led? We're going to kind of continue with the lesson that we started last week or the story that we started last week looking at Jesus when he was invited to the home of a Pharisee, a man named Simon. And uh, he goes to the guy's house because he'll go anywhere he's invited, right? He doesn't hate the Pharisees, and not all the Pharisees are bad. And so he goes to the Pharisee's house. And while he's there, this woman comes running in. She crashes the party. They would never have allowed her in. She crashes the party. She runs up. She drops at Jesus' feet. She's weeping. Her tears are falling on his feet, uh, making them muddy. She takes down her hair and wipes his feet with her hair. She has a, a vial of perfume around her neck, and she pours it all over Jesus' feet. Now, the Bible says <clears throat> she's a prostitute, okay? And so Sa- Simon is watching this whole scene unfold, and he's thinking to himself, this guy must not be a prophet, because if he was, he'd know who's touching him, and he would not let her be touching him. And then the Bible says this <clears throat> in Luke 7, verse 39, then Jesus answered his thoughts. 
Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Now, if you're following along on your lesson sheet, I hope you'll circle that, that, that one little sentence that Jesus says there. I have something to say to you. Because to me, how we respond to that question or to that statement when Jesus speaks it into our lives has everything to do with whether we are living a life of humility or whether we are living a life of pride and arrogance and superiority where we feel like we have it all figured out and nobody can teach me anything, not even God himself. Um, You know, in John chapter 10, Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. My sheep know me. They know my voice and they follow it. And, you know, Aniela was saying that Michael Card was here this weekend doing a, a seminar on John. That was one thing that really stuck to me. It's like, his voice heard his, his sheep heard his voice back then, they still do. But we, uh, to me, at least for me, I have to develop an awareness of that voice speaking into my life and learn to discern it from all of the other voices that are constantly shouting into my life in order to hear it clearly. But I'll tell you this right now, Jesus is constantly saying, Ed, I've got something to say to you and correcting the way that I go. Not just... Did he do that? He continues to do that on a daily basis. So to me, when it comes to humility, if it, 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 at least in, in one major aspect of my life, it has come down to, am I willing to see myself the way that God sees me? And am I willing then to express that out to the world and see other people the way that I believe God sees me and let that change the way that I treat them? And... and one thing that I've noticed, and we talk about a lot here, is that everywhere Jesus went, he, he, he lived his life with this sort of spirit that it was almost as though he had these three signs sort of hanging around his neck. And the first sign that he had, uh, you know, it was, I mean, he didn't really have one, but boy, it was like the people just recognized that it was true. The first sign is everybody's welcome, okay? Everybody. Simon the Pharisee welcomes Jesus to his house, and Jesus goes because Jesus goes anywhere he's welcome. He still does, right? Anybody, anybody can welcome Jesus into their lives, and he will go wherever he's welcome. But see, what Simon learns that he didn't account for is that as far as Jesus is concerned, he'll go wherever he's welcome, but wherever he goes, everybody else is welcome there too. And so this woman comes running in, right? And Jesus doesn't tell her to get out. Jesus, as a matter of fact, when Simon looks at this whole thing and says, if he was a prophet, he'd know what's going on. He wouldn't let her be touching him. And so Jesus, remember, he answers Simon's thoughts and he tells him a story. We're going to get to that story here in just a minute. But at the end of that story, here's what he says to the woman. In Luke chapter seven, verse 48, Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. And the men at the table said among themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you go in peace. It's almost like these guys are talking, but Jesus doesn't even hear them. At least he doesn't pay any attention. It's like she's the only one in the room at that moment. Your sins are forgiven. All this going around, it doesn't even phase him. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And those are some of the most beautiful words you will ever hear. Some of the most beautiful words that were ever written. When I was 20, I... uh, I found myself in a place where I didn't know if I'd be able to ever recover what was left of of my life. I had spent about three and a half years. I didn't know it when I started, but just basically throwing my life away. 
uh, self, completely self-centered, drug and alcohol abuse, all this stuff. And I had tried everything I could think of to, to break free of that, to, to recover my life. Nothing worked. And so one night I was driving home and I thought to myself, you know, I grew up in church. I just, it didn't really change how I behaved, I guess I'd say. And so I was driving home and I thought maybe when the preachers said Jesus saves, it wasn't just about eternity. Maybe they meant he could save my here and now, right? My life here on this side of eternity. And, and so I prayed what I considered to be a pretty anemic prayer. It turned out to actually be one of the most powerful prayers I ever prayed in my life. I said, if you're really there, because I wasn't positive, but I was like, if you're really there and if you really do want my life, then you can have it. And I'll stop doing the things that I think you wouldn't want me to do, at least doing my best to stop. And I'll start doing, I'll keep doing the things that I think you want me to do. And then I will, I'll start trying to figure out what it is that I don't already know that I'm doing that I shouldn't, that I didn't even realize, and the stuff that I'm not doing that I should be doing, and, 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 and that'll be... But, you know, I, I grew up in church. I knew that people would say things like, oh, Lord, I love you. You know, I would watch people in church raising their hands while they sang and, and getting all into it. I'd be like, I just don't get it. I don't get it. I don't have those kinds of feelings. Well, you know, it's like if you don't have a relationship with someone, you're not going to have those kinds of feelings. And so I was like, I know I'm supposed to say I love you, but I just don't and I figured if God was who the Bible said he was, he would know if I was lying. <laughs> so I was like, all right, I'll just say, if we're going to get to that stage, you're going to have to get me there, but I'll start doing whatever I think you want me to do. And I got I to gotta confess, I expected the heavens to part and light to shine down and music, heavenly music and angels descending. None of that happened. And I was like, what does that mean? But I was like, well, there's nothing else that's worked. Nothing else. So I will, I'm going to pursue this and see what happens. And I got to tell you, two things happened. Number one, my life exploded, which really freaked me out. I was like, what is going on here? I thought if I did what God asked me to do, everything would get easy. Oh, no, not even close. And as I started reading through the Bible, I realized, yeah, even those guys, even they didn't get it easy. As a matter of fact, you try to make any positive change, but especially if it pertains to Jesus and, and, and trying to do his will in your life, you're, you're going things are going to get rough, okay? But the second thing that happened is God started to prove himself. I started to see his, his, his presence and his movement in my life, and I, it didn't take long for me to get to the point where I started to feel this, this connection to God. Everybody's welcome, even me, even you, even this woman that's there sitting in front of Jesus' feet, in uh, Simon the Pharisee's house. So the first sign that Jesus lives his life with is everybody's welcome. The second sign is nobody's perfect, okay? Everybody's welcome and nobody's perfect. And I don't know about you, I am really glad that that is one of the signs that Jesus lives his life by. Because it's not just that I wasn't perfect, I'm not perfect. And those of you who know me well are like, you know, yeah, he's telling the truth. You know what I mean? It's like to this very day, God is constantly whispering into my life and saying, I have something to say to you. And if we're willing to listen, see, it's not that God can't work with people who are wrong, right? Who make mistakes, who stumble, bumble, and fumble through this life. That's all he has to work with as it turns out. 
He can work with wrong. What he can't work with is people that don't believe that they could ever be wrong, right? And so when it comes to this concept of nobody's perfect, when Jesus is with this woman, she knows she's not perfect. But I'm guessing she probably didn't know that the rest of the men that were there at this party with Jesus, that they weren't perfect either because they put up an awfully good show, right? I'm not even sure that they didn't know that they weren't perfect, right? There's only one guy that has ever not needed this sign, right, for himself, and that's Jesus. And that's the guy who treats everybody else as though, I know you're not perfect, and it's okay. I came to pay for that myself. And so Jesus is sitting there with this woman. He wants to make sure everybody knows nobody's perfect. And so he tells this story, and this is how it goes. Luke 7, verse 41, a man loaned money to two people. 500 pieces of silver to one, 50 to the other, but neither of them could repay him. And that's the key to this whole story. Neither one could repay him. In the first century, if you couldn't pay back your loan and your lender called in the debt and you couldn't pay it, you went to jail, whether you, weighed, whether you owed 500 or 50, right? And so as you sit here and you look at this at this scene with Jesus and this woman whose life is so obviously messed up and with Simon the Pharisee and all these other Pharisees who seem to have it all together, what Jesus seems to be saying is, yeah, it looks like she owes a lot more than you guys, but none of you can repay. None of you can repay. And we hate that, right? We hate that because we want to be able to say, I've done it. I've done it. I have, I have cleaned myself up. I have brought, I, I'm going to bring this, this resume to Jesus and he's going to look at me and be like, yeah, you're acceptable. Let's watch this. Your Honor, I object to this witness. Improper foundation. I'm not aware of this person's qualifications. I'd like to voir uh, dire this witness as to the extent of her expertise. Granted. Mr. Trotter, you may proceed. Mm-hmm. Oh, Ms. Vito, what's your current profession? I'm an out-of-work hairdresser. Out-of-work hairdresser. Now, in what way does that qualify you as an expert in automobiles? It doesn't. Well, in what way are you qualified? Well, my father was a mechanic. His father was a mechanic. My mother's father was a mechanic. My three brothers are mechanics. Four uncles on my father's side are mechanics. Ms. Vito, your family's obviously qualified. But uh, have you ever worked as a mechanic? Yeah, in my father's garage, yeah. As a mechanic? What do you do in your father's garage? Tune-ups, oil changes, brake relining, engine rebuilds, rebuild some trannies, rear ends. Okay, okay. But does being an ex-mechanic necessarily qualify you as being an expert on tire marks? No. Thank you. Goodbye. Sit down and stay there until you're told to leave. Your Honor, Ms. Vito's expertise is in general automotive knowledge. It is in this area that her testimony will be applicable. Now, if Mr. Trotter wishes to voir diet a witness as to the extent of her expertise in this area, I'm sure he's going to be more than satisfied. Okay. All right, all right. Now, uh, Ms. Vito, being an expert on general automotive knowledge, 
Can you tell me, what would the correct ignition timing be on a 1955 Bel Air Chevrolet with a 327 cubic inch engine and a full barrel carburetor? It's impossible to answer. Impossible because you don't know the answer. Nobody could answer that question. Your Honor, I move to disqualify Ms. Vito as an expert witness. Can you answer the question? No, it is a trick question. Why is it a trick question? Watch this. Because Chevy didn't make a 327 in 55. The 327 didn't come out till 62. And it wasn't offered in the Bel Air with a four-barrel carb till 64. However, in 1964, the correct ignition timing would be four degrees before top dead center. Well, oh. She's acceptable, Your Honor. I love that. <laughs> and isn't that what we all want, right? We all want to be able to bring a resume where everybody looks at us and goes, oh, yeah, yeah, there acceptable. And this story that Jesus tells is like, there's only one way to get that. We're all on the same even playing field before Jesus, no matter how messed up our lives look or how clean and respectable they look. None of us can repay. But thankfully, there's somebody who will pay for us. In Romans 3, verse 22, the Bible says that we are made right in God's sight when we trust in Jesus Christ to take away our sins. And we all can be saved in the same way, no matter who we are or what we've done. That is really, really good news. But there are a lot of us, right? We, we just want to be able to justify ourselves, to make ourselves acceptable. And I don't know if this is something that some people have a bigger problem with than others. When I when I said to Jesus, you can have this messed up life if you want it. I didn't know it at the time because I hadn't learned to, to, to tune into Jesus's voice, but I know exactly what he said. He said, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And so I did. I started trying to figure out what, what it meant to live a life for Jesus, right? I, there was a church uh, nearby from the tradition that I had grown up in, a tradition that was extremely legalistic, extremely judgmental. We believed we, in our little fellowship, were the only church that had gotten everything right, which meant we were the only ones going to heaven. We condemned all, I mean, all the other denominations, every single other one, we condemned them to hell. It was like heaven was going to be a very small place, right? And I remember, I, I I went, to, I went to this preacher and I said, teach me what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And he, he is one of the top four or five most influential men in my life. He taught me to love Jesus. He taught me to love God's word. He also taught me a lot of the doctrines of our church. And whether he intended for me to get this message or not, I took those and I started condemning people left and right. I mean, just, it was like a, like, like a water hose, a fire hose, condemning everybody. I, I, I felt bad for them that they were wrong, and I wanted them to change. Jim Rohn, who's a motivational speaker, said, you can preach a fire and brimstone sermon to me, but you better have a tear in your eye when you do it, right? Because there are a lot of people that seem to almost have a gleam in their eye when they're like, oh, you're going to hell, right? But I, I, I seriously felt bad, and I was seriously you know, trying to snatch some back from the fires of hell. 
But I've started to become pretty insufferable, I would imagine. Not just to other religious people, people that were, were in really messed up situations that I had come out of, I started to look at them and think, why don't you just change? Why don't you just leave that behind like I did? I didn't think about the three and a half years that I hadn't been able to, 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 to break myself out of that. I just was like, yeah, just, just, just do it. I started, to be, I started to look down on just about everybody. I went to this church service. It was at another affiliated church with us, and the preacher was talking about the Pharisees. The story that we told last week about a Pharisee and a tax collector going into the temple to pray, he told that story. And he was talking about uh, how, how the Pharisees were constantly getting on Jesus for breaking the commandments, the, the, the Sabbath laws, right? And I always thought, I mean, I'd heard those stories growing up. I thought it meant that Jesus did break those laws. It's just okay because it was his law. He could break whatever he wanted. Turned out that's not what was going on. The Pharisees had this whole list of things that went with the third commandment right? With the, the, the Sabbath commandment, the one that says, don't work on the Sabbath, rest on the Sabbath, honor God on the Sabbath, that's a day of rest. So what the Pharisees did is they started defining, okay, what's work then? So we can make sure that we don't break that law on accident. They had all kinds of crazy laws. You can't spit on the Sabbath because it might make mud. And if it makes mud, then you just worked, right? There are all these other things about how, how far you can walk from your house. If you go one step beyond a certain number of paces, then now you're working. But if you didn't go that far, well, it's okay. You're still in the rest zone, right? And so he was going through and he was talking about all of this. And he said, turns out Jesus wasn't breaking God's law. He was breaking their silly little traditions, and in Matthew 15, verses 7 through 9, Jesus says this, You hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, for he wrote, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. And my brain started to kind of spin a little bit, because see, that's what we did. We took things like baptism, right? Bible says, you know, Jesus says, be baptized. We took that and said, it has to be this way for this reason, with this on your mind, with this on the mind of the person baptizing you. They have to do, you know, we had all of these little rules. And if you didn't follow our little rules, even if you had been baptized, but you didn't do it exactly the way we said, then you had broken God's law. We had rules for how you conduct a worship service, right? We would only sing acapella, no, no instruments, right? And if you used an instrument in worship, then you were going to hell. Even though the Bible never says, don't use an instrument in worship, right? But we had all these crazy mental gymnastics that we went through and we would say, therefore, you can't use an instrument. We had, we had rules about what you could call your church, which when you step back, when I step back and look at it now, I'm like, what a ridiculous rule. The Bible calls the church other things than that. But we were like, no, it can only be this one name. And if you call it anything else, it was crazy. And what I started as I heard this about the Pharisees using, taking God's law and coming up with all these little rules of their own and then saying, if you break one of our rules, you've broken that law. And Jesus saying, not a chance. Your worship has become a farce. I felt Jesus tap me on the shoulder and say, Ed, I've got something to say to you. And I was like, have I become a Pharisee? And Jesus said, yeah. And I was stunned because I sincerely thought I was his favorite person on the face of the planet. 
I was like, he is so lucky to have me. Look at how smart, how right I am. How lucky is Jesus? You know, and I just was like, well, what does this mean? Everything that I've built my, 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 the foundation of following Jesus upon is crumbling before my eyes. And I was like, so what, what do I, what do I have left? And what I realized I have left is Jesus. That's it. And so I went back to the Bible. I was like, well, let's look and see in the Bible what the Bible says about how I should live my life and how I should treat other people and how I should do church. And I started to see there were a lot of things I had been, well, that I had, that I had come up with from what I had been taught that had, that had no foundation in the Bible and all kinds of stuff that were in the Bible that we weren't doing. And I started to, so I started to pursue what Jesus said it was that saved us. And as I did, I found this other sign, this third sign that Jesus lives his life by, and that is anything's possible, right? Everybody's welcome. Nobody's perfect. Anything's possible. And the reason anything's possible is because if we live our lives with humility, and when Jesus reaches down and says, I have something to say to you, we say, okay, what is it? Instead of, no, I don't want to hear it then his power flows into our lives, even if we were wrong. I, I mean, he, he hasn't got anybody else to work with but people that stumble, bumble, and fumble through this world. He's not looking for perfection. He's looking for moldability, right? For, for people that are willing to be guided and directed through this life. And when we step off in the wrong direction, for him to go, nope, this way, for us to go, oops, and step back that way. In James chapter 4, verses 6 through 7, the Bible says that God opposes the proud but favors the humble. So humble yourselves before God. Over and over and over, you'll see this. Humble yourself, humble yourself, humble yourself. Nowhere does it say, ask God to humble you because he'll do that. It'll say he'll do that if you don't humble yourself, but you're going to be much better off humbling yourself. After I got out of that whole feeling like I was better than all of the other people who had spent their lives trying to follow Jesus and were doing it differently than me, I came to this church right here. And Lee Fisk, some of you guys know, remember him. He was the preacher here. And, and I found a church that treated people as though everybody was welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. And I thought, this seems like the way that Jesus lived his life. I think I want to be a part of this. And so I started to kind of learn and to, to, to grow. I, I decided I wanted to go into full-time ministry. This church didn't have uh, space. You know, they couldn't afford to hire me too. And so I went down south, got a job. And then a couple of years later, this church had grown. And Lee said, hey, come back up and work with us. And I came back up. And uh, I thought I was going to spend the rest of my career working for Lee. And then within eight months, he had left the state. And suddenly, I was the preacher of this church. But this church continued to sort of carry on that, at least this part of the spirit of what Lee was doing. And, and I was loving this ministry. And I, <laughs> I went to a conference, a preacher's conference, and there was a, a guy that was speaking there, one of my favorite preachers to listen to. His name's John Ortberg. And he was talking about the story that I just mentioned about Jesus saying that there was a Pharisee and a tax collector that went into the temple to pray, right? He says, the Pharisee stands over there and says, Lord, you are so lucky. I mean, I'm paraphrasing here, but he said, you're so lucky to have me. I do everything. I don't just do everything right. I go above and beyond. And Lord, most of all, I'm so thankful I'm not like that tax collector over there. 
And I'm sitting there thinking, man, I'm glad I'm not like that guy anymore. And I was expecting us to, him to congratulate all of us on not being like that tax collector. And instead, he said this. I'll never forget it. He said, in an ironic twist of theological irony, most modern Christians now who are living a life of grace towards other people hear that story and say, Lord, I'm so thankful I'm not like that ta- uh, Pharisee who was so thankful he wasn't like that tax collector. I'm so thankful that I'm superior to the guy that because of he thought he was superior to everybody else, he had separated himself from you more than any, and more dangerously than the tax collector because he didn't even know that he had separated himself. And I hear that, and my brain starts to spin, and I feel Jesus tap me on the shoulder and say, Ed, I have something to say to you. And I was like, is it that I've become some kind of crazy, oblivious, reverse Pharisee who I'm only feeling superior to those other Pharisees, but I'm still feeling superior and feeling like how lucky is God to have me? Jesus said, yeah. And I thought, can I not catch a break? Can I, can I not win? Can I not get anything right? And I started to realize that's not what it's about. Let's watch this. What was that all about back there? I had a friend send a fax to the judge confirming the very impressive legal stature of Jerry Hallow. What friends you got in the clerk's office? Your friend. My friend. Judge Malloy. So what's your problem? My problem is I wanted to win my first case without any help from anybody. Well, I guess that plan's moot. Yeah. You know, this could be a sign of things to come. You win all your cases, but with somebody else's help. Right? You win case after case, and then afterwards, you have to go up to somebody, and you have to say thank you. Oh, my, what a nightmare. I won my first case. You know what this means. Yeah, you think I'm going to marry you? Well, you're not going to marry me now? No way. Can't win a case by yourself. You're useless. I was like, I can't do anything on my own. I can't, I can't be trusted. I'm like an, an unaccompanied minor, right? It's like, no, you, 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 shouldn't, you shouldn't be doing church. What are you doing? And I'm like, see, this is the reason I didn't think I should ever be a pastor. I'm like, well, well what kind of church would hire me? And who would come to a church where I was the pastor? And now, you know, here, here you guys are. But what I learned is, It's not about winning. It's not about being right all the time. It's about being willing to let God direct me in the multiple times a day that I get off track. And now, I'm serious, multiple times a day I will feel, I'll have a thought, and then I'll hear, Ed, I've got something to say to you. And I'll go, oh, I did it again, didn't I? And so I'll, I'll, I don't have the, I haven't had one of the big massive epiphanies, right? Where I'm like, oh, I've been so wrong. It's just because I've kind of learned to develop this awareness of his voice and do my best to sort of let him guide me as I'm going through moment by moment. But I, I know every once in a while he'll pull back. When I start thinking, man, what else is there even to learn? <laughs> Jesus will pull this curtain back in my mind. I'll go, oh, I didn't even know that was there. And be like, yeah, you're ready now. Let's go. Let's, let's, let, let's, let's tackle that. Humble 
yourself. It's not about being right all the time. It's not about never being wrong. It's about willing to let him correct you when you are. And if you do, he will pour his favor and his grace and his presence and his power and his knowledge, his wisdom into your life in ways you never would have dreamed was possible. We'll finish with this. Psalm 138 verse 6 says, though the Lord is great, he cares for the humble, but he keeps his distance from the proud. So humble yourselves. As a matter of fact, that's your wisdom step for this week. Wisdom step number 18, humble yourself so God doesn't have to. And then here's the the, the memory verse. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Learn, just get that burned into your brain and change Simon to your name. I just, Ed, I have something to say to you. Whatever it is, just keep saying those words over and over and over again this week and say, Lord, tell me where you want me to go. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for your son. We are so grateful for his favor in our lives and for the fact that he goes through this world with those three signs. Everybody's welcome. Nobody's perfect and anything's possible. Lord, help us to accept that that's the way that he, li- that he lives his life towards us and then help us to take those three signs and to express them to all of the people that you entrust into our lives as we go through this world treating them the way that Jesus would treat us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.